Hello and welcome to Indians on Deck. I am your host, Matt Schlichting, and as always, we are here with Brian Hemminger, lead prospect writer for Let'sGoTribe.com. Brian, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, how are you doing? I was better before Corey Kluber broke his arm. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> Actually, I changed my mind. I'm terrible now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mike Petriello just tweeted out... Will the Indians finish 500 or better is not a thought I expected to have on May 1st. Well, heading into today, they had the best start in April ever with Tito. 16 and 12 or whatever. A true story. And yet. Yeah, but it is going to be Kluberless, so we'll see what happens. All of the panic button mashing, I guess, can truly begin in earnest now. But we're not here to talk about current disasters. Yes. We're here to talk about the Indians farm system and prospects. There we go. Much of it was also depressing. (laughs) We can distract you with the youth movement. (laughs) So we will start, as always, with the top 10 prospects in the system. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, again, did not play. And no no news. No news. I, I scoured the internet. There is... No mention of Tristan McKenzie in any Indians-related anything since April 11th, pretty much. Uh, We will have to see how things progress there. But our number two man was Nolan Jones, and he he wasn't a phenomenal week. I think he kept his on-base streak alive. Uh, It depends if he was on-base yesterday. Um, But he was at 34 games and counting the last I saw, which is pretty darn impressive. I like it. But overall for the week, I mean, it wasn't a great week for him. He went 238 off with a 280 on base percentage and a 333 slugging percentage. Struck out seven times, walked just twice, which is a bit surprising. On the bright side, next up, Tyler Freeman, Indians number three prospect, had himself another great week. Yeah, he managed to pull a 333 average with a 462 on base and a 476 slug. Yep. Four more walks, added a triple. Although he did strike out four times, which is actually about as much, many times as you'd expect him to strike out in a month. So Yeah, but overall, I don't think you can complain too much with that no, line. that is a great line. That is, probably, that is actually the best line of all the Indians prospects uh, in the top 10, at least. Uh, our number four man was Bo Naylor, who continues to struggle a little bit with his advanced placement this mm-hmm. season. Yeah, I mean, offensively, it wasn't terrible. It actually was a slight improvement with a 227 batting average, 261 on base, just 318 slugging. The main thing that I'm a little worried about was the nine strikeouts to one walk, because last year yeah. he actually walked and struck out the exact same amount of time at the Arizona Rookie League. But like we said, he's been the most aggressive placement of any player in the Indian system this year. So there's going to be a little bit of growing pains there. So. Don't panic, people. Yeah, and so far this season, his strikeout rate is 37%, but when you're 19 at single A, you're going to have to adjust. So, Not not everyone can be Tyler Freeman. Uh, George Valera comes in at number five, and we are patiently waiting. waiting. Hang in there, people. You'll, you'll, you'll learn a lot more about George in, in June. And then Bobby Bradley, another uh, similar struggle, uh, batted just 208. 
with the 240 on base percentage, 375 slugging. Did hit a home run, but uh, for those of you going in the call-up Bobby Bradley movement, he did have 10 strikeouts this past week with one walk. That is not good. There's a lot of guys that seem like they struggled with strikeouts this week mm-hmm. in the top rankings here. Yeah, surprisingly. I mean, I would even say with four strikeouts, that's struggling for Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just looking at Bradley's numbers overall, 259, 330, 459 for the season. The thing that, I don't know if alarming is the right word, but since coming up to AAA, his walk rate is like 8%. Yeah, that's it's been in the double digits his whole career, so I would like to see that patience return a little bit more. But I think... Part of it was he was he's been trying to make an adjustment to improve his contact rate and he's swinging more, so that's gonna take away the the walk rate if you're being more aggressive at the plate. So next up we got Brian Rocchio again. He has not yet made his debut for 2019. He'll expect him in June as well at Low A Mahoning Valley, uh, barring any more crazy injuries. But we'll get to that later as well. And then uh, Luis Oviedo. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> it's the actual note that's just in our uh, document here is just oh no. <laughs> he, he so a couple weeks ago uh we agreed to never speak again yeah. of a very bad start that he had where he went 2 thirds of an inning and gave up about 6 runs and <laughs> This time, he went one-third of an inning and gave up five runs with two walks and four hits. So, come on, Luis. What's going on, man? I just, so far this season, I think he's had four starts where he went five to six innings and gave up zero or one run. And then he's had two starts where a combined one inning combined and then given up about 11 runs. It's either been feast or famine. And I'm talking like about to keel over of starvation famine when, when he is not on. So I don't know what's up with him and there's no news of injuries or anything, but just for some reason, every couple starts, he just has an absolute blow up moment, which is kind of terrifying for a top 10 pitching prospect. So hopefully he can uh, get it under control because that it was not good. Not good at all. If he, if he was a quarterback in college football or something, it would be like, watching a guy lead two consecutive 95-yard touchdown drives that take like 10 minutes a clock, total ball control, and then the next time he gets the ball, he just turns around, sprints to his own end zone, and takes a knee. (laughs) (laughs) That's almost what it's – or then uh, hands it off to the opposing defense. (laughs) He just waits for the safety to blitz, and it's like, here you go. Have fun. I'm done. And then Ethan Hankins was number nine. And again, he has not yet made his debut. Expect to see him in Mahoney Valley in June. And last but not least, Sam Henkes. Some signs of improvement with uh, his... Uh, he's had some serious issues with command this year where uh, he's been walking about as much or more than he's been striking batters out. So the good on the bright side, he only walked two batters in five and two-thirds innings and struck out five. But... Uh, you know, you give and take when you're in the zone more, you're going to get hit more. He gave up 10 hits and four runs. That's not good either. So he's kind of got to find that fine line where he's in the zone, but still tough to hit. And so far he has not found that yet this year. 
his struggles, like we, we've joked about Oviedo having the occasional blow up, but Henkes has yet to have uh, a really good start the whole season. That has been the biggest surprise for me of, at least in terms of bad news for any prospect, has been Henkes' struggles at double A. Because I was really hoping that he could maybe give the Indians some potential starting pitching depth, uh, especially with that injury to McKenzie. But, I mean, there is no way that the Indians are even, he's even on the back of their minds whatsoever as a replacement for Kluber. But there are a few players that could, and we will be talking about them very shortly. The one thing with Hentges that I think is good is it's not like he's getting napalmed out of these games. Yeah, he's, he's, he's making it like five innings every time, but he's yeah. giving up like four or five runs every time too. So, And he, he is suffering from uh, a BABIP of 425 mm-hmm. so far this year. So things could turn around yeah. for him, but he does definitely, like you said, if you're going to put it over the plate more, you still need to miss bats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually a very good thing is that he's at least giving them innings. Like It's not like he just makes a start and then the bullpen's blown up for the next week. Well, next up, we're going to talk about the five best and none of those five best were in the Indians' top ten. But It's the first time so far yeah, this year. Yeah, that is the first time. This guy is somebody that people need to know about more. So Zach Playsack, he was drafted for the Indi- by the Indians out of Ball State and did not pitch for them because his first year because he had Tommy John surgery. So he did not pitch all of the year he was drafted, which I think was 17 and or maybe 16. And then last year in 2018 was his first full season back. He made he had a little bit of uh, return in 2017, but last year was his first full season back, and he was pretty good with uh, Lynchburg and then with spot starts at AA. And then this year, he's been at AA the whole season, and he has been sensational. So this past week, he had two starts, uh, seven innings and six and two-thirds innings in those two starts combined, so 13 and two-thirds total, allowed six hits, just one earned run, walked one, and struck out 16. At this moment, he is the top-performing starting pitcher in the Indians' minor league system. So he's somebody that people need to know about. And he has my favorites. One of my favorite stats is he threw a 72-pitch Maddox last season. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, like, literally, they basically almost swung at the first pitch every inning. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how you do that. That's got to be the lowest. I'm almost certain that's the lowest amount of pitches I've ever seen thrown in a Maddox. It's got to be, if not the lowest, pretty close for all of the professional ranks. And then not only has he been lighting up uh, in regards to the Indian system, but Indians Perspective tweeted out earlier today, he is first in ERA, first in whip, first in innings pitched, third in FIP, third in strikeout to walk, third in total walks allowed, uh, and, and fifth in opposing teams average for the entire Eastern League. Yeah, for double A Eastern League. That is incredible. So, I mean, we're talking about all these potential Indians prospects that could get called up. Zach Plasek's actually making a name for himself and putting his name out there as a potential surprise call up uh, at some point this year because now that he's got that first full season back out of Tommy John, it just seems like he has really turned the corner this year. His velocity's up. He's missing more bats. Um, he is somebody to keep an eye on. He should definitely be in the Indians' top uh, prospect rankings when they update them midseason at this point. 
Uh, the next player that we've got as the five best from the full system is Jesse Berardi, and I do not know... This is my first introduction to him. Yeah, Jesse Berardi was a 2017 10th round draft pick as a shortstop, and that he's kind of been a utility infielder in the Indian system. Um, he hasn't hit particularly well. I mean, his very his debut in Mahoning Valley, he was okay. He batted about 284 for the season, but last year at Lake County, he only batted 234, and he's not batting that much better this year, but he had a good week, so we're going to give him some love. This past week, he batted a, had a slash of 417, 462, 500, um, with a couple doubles and a couple walks, so good for Jesse. Keep it up, uh, and then keep advancing through that system. And then a player that I'm very excited to talk about is Cody Morris. He made his professional Indians debut this past week. Uh, he did not pitch last season after the Indians drafted him. Uh, I'm not sure. I've been looking. I do not know what was wrong with him, but he was, uh, I think, out of South Carolina Indians seventh round pick in 2018, and he just he never made his pro debut. So there was some underlying injury or something that was keeping him from uh, pitching, but the Indians activated him uh, because there have been a, a slew of injuries, and we'll talk about those in a minute. And there was a need at Lake County, so they activated him for full season, single-A Lake County, for his professional debut. So this is his first time ever facing hitters in real games. And he pitched uh, as a piggyback partner. Uh, so he came in and tossed four innings of relief after the starter pitched five. And he went four innings, no hits, no runs, no earned runs, no walks, and five strikeouts. The only blemish was he did hit a batter. But that doesn't count towards your whip, so his whip was zero. <laughs> you can hit you can hit twenty batters and your whip is zero. That's actually interesting. I, I mean I know it's walks and hits yep. per inning it's pitch. Not but... hit batters though. <laughs> yeah, nice to see him come in and be that effective his yeah. first time. So he could potentially be a starting pitching prospect to keep an eye on moving forward. Uh sounded like I mean he was just blowing hitters away. So it, with a mid to upper nineties fastball. So uh, another guy to uh, potentially that we have that people have no idea who he was, and now they do. And our our fourth guy here is Stephen Kwan, who he had a three ninety one average, five hundred on base, six fifty two slugging percentage, uh, two strikeouts, two doubles, two triples, and then five walks on top of that, which gives him a three fifty two average for yeah. the season so far. 438 on base percentage, which is actually pretty much in line with what he did all yeah. last year at rookie ball and low single A. Good for Stephen Kwan. I mean, he he really has been sensational. Uh, and like we mentioned before, the Indians also were very aggressive with his placement, and he is flourishing. I mean, he skipped full season single A Lake County entirely, and they just went straight to high A, and he's been knocking it out of the park. So great job, Stephen Kwan. And I think he'll be getting called up to double A pretty soon if he can keep this up. It'll be exciting to watch. Now, our last guy here is a man by the name of Robert Broom, who, again, I was not familiar with until this very day. What can you tell us about him? Okay, so you know Nick Sandlin, you know Adam Simber, uh, both guys that are uh, side armors. Uh, Simber, obviously, is the submarine style. Sandlin's a little bit more three-quarters side uh, with changing arm slots, but Robert Broom is in the Simber style of submarining uh, side armor. The Indians drafted him in the 10th round last year, and he had a similar path where 
Uh, he started in the Arizona Rookie League and then got promoted to Lake County, just skipped Mahoning Valley entirely, and pitched well at both. Uh, he had a 169 ERA at, in the Arizona Rookie League with uh, nine strikeouts in five innings. And then at Lake County, he had a 117 ERA in 23 innings where he struck out 30. So really, really impressive. And then this uh, this year, he got promoted to Lynchburg, and he has struck out 20 in 13 innings, 13 and a third innings, and has yet to allow a run. So Yes. Or yet to allow an earned run. He gave up a, a run, but it was uh, pulled back from an error. But But he has been knocking it out of the park. So that's another relief pitching prospect to keep an eye on Robert Broom out of Mercer college, right-handed side armor. Yeah. And you had mentioned uh, either last week or the week before the Indians seeming to have some kind of fascination at the very least with sidearming guys right now. But uh, when the results are like that, it is hard to be upset. Yeah. I mean, when you've got somebody that's been as effective as Simber has for the most part this year, throwing in the mid eighties, uh, if you can get a side armor throwing in the mid nineties, that actually gets pretty exciting. So, well, that rounds out our top performers and top prospects for the past week. But we do have some injury news and promotions, demotions, activations, and such to report on. Injury wise, there were quite a few this week. So at AAA, Yu Chang went on the seven day IL again for the exact same thing: left ring finger sprain. There is just something wrong with his ring finger. I do not know what it is, but this is the second time this season that he's been on it. Uh, at Double A, Tyler Freese, who we were just hyping up last week after he got promoted to Double A, yeah. left wrist strain. He's out. Uh, so Tyler Freese is also injured infield prospect. Gavin Collins, who has been kind of a catcher slash third base prospect at Lynchburg, he went on the injured list with a neck strain. And Jose Fermin, the former Indians' number one international prospect from like 2016 or 2015, actually, uh, he went on the seven-day injured list with a wrist strain. And Josh Roulette, who uh, has been doing some uh, catching, splitting time with Bo Naylor at Lake County, he had a finger fracture, and he is on the injured list. So here are the ridiculous amount of promotions and activations that the Indians have done in response to all this. So Tyler Krieger got promoted from double uh, a to Columbus. He'll be helping out in the infield in triple uh, a Gabriel Mejia. So Gabriel Mejia sighting everybody, the former uh, center fielder with that was stealing like 50 to 60 bases a season uh, has been dealing with a lot of injuries over the past few years saw his uh, prospect status uh, plummet a little bit, but he got converted at least temporarily to second baseman. And he is now in Akron. And he also apparently gave up switch hitting. He's batting right-handed. So keep an eye out for Gabriel Mejia in Akron uh, moving forward. And then this is another name that you might be familiar with. Anthony Ghost, uh, who of former Tiger... Detroit Tigers utility man fame. Um, it didn't work out for him in the major leagues. Uh, it couldn't hit particularly well. So he converted to a pitcher because he always had a great arm and he is actually 
in the back end of the Lynchburg Hillcats bullpen. They extended him or they promoted him from extended spring training. And he is pitching right now for Lynchburg, hitting 98 miles an hour. And he got his first save the other day. So that's somebody to keep an eye on. And Cody Morris, we already mentioned him, but he made his debut when Lake County got promoted from extended spring training, potential uh, starting pitching prospect. Jose Vicente out of the, uh, I think he's out of the Dominican Republic. Um, He got activated from extended spring training to uh, Lake County because of all the injuries that they've been having. Uh, Miguel Yerez, who also uh, was the MVP of the Arizona Rookie League last year, he was also added to uh, Lake County from extended spring training. And then one of my favorite names, Daniel Schneeman. Schneeman. Schneeman, a utility infielder. Um, he also was activated from extended spring training and sent to Lake County. So because of all their injuries. Schneeman sounds like the name a character in a movie gives when they're put on the spot and just have to come <laughs> up with one. And uh, he actually wasn't too bad uh, last year. He was an Indians late, I'm talking late round draft pick. Let me uh, grab this. 33rd round draft pick last year. And he batted just 206 in the Arizona Rookie League. But they actually gave him a shot at Lake County last year very briefly for two games. So he's kind of that uh, org filler guy. But good for good for Schneeman to go out there and take advantage of an opportunity. So I hope that he uh, gets out there and gets on base a whole lot and, and thrives. And then last but not least, Rob Kaminsky was activated from the injured list. So he's back pitching out of the bullpen for Akron. And in response, Sean Brady, who's kind of been a veteran of the Indian system for about the past six years, I would say, he was granted his release. So let me see. It's tough. Yeah. You, you hate to see some of these guys go. He's like Brady was never really a top pitching prospect, but he was a fifth round draft pick in 2013. So he'd been in the Indian system since 2013. So this was his uh, sixth season with the Indians. Uh, he spent some time in Columbus and Akron, and he actually pitched okay for Columbus, had two starts with him uh, as a fill in starter when they had some injuries and when. Jeffrey Rodriguez, I think, got promoted to the Indians. Uh, yeah. But, yep, so he's a free Ooh. agent now. So Jeffrey Rodriguez maybe with the Indians somewhat more often. Yeah, moving forward. Given current events. Mm-hmm, exactly. But on the bright side, uh, I think Mike Clevenger's allowed to look at a baseball. Yes, he, he touched one. Yeah, and he didn't explode. So Excellent. <laughs> All right, and then... We'll move on to one of our final things that are new things is the players that are outside the top 10 to follow. We still have no idea what to call this segment, so we will still take more suggestions. So, Matt, <laughs> let's talk about your guys. So I picked Will Benson as my hitter, and he responded with this great honor by striking out 10 times with a 105 batting average, a 227 on base percentage, and a 158 slugging percentage. Not not a good week for Will. There is room for improvement. Not a good week for Will. Uh, On the bright side, I took Kyle Nelson, the reliever, who I believe still has yet to give up a run. He has not. Is that correct? So we have Nelson, Broom, and 
Karen check that have just been lights out this year. Nelson put up two and a third again, no earned runs, no runs period and three strikeouts effective. And then who did you have? Right, Ryan? I had Oscar Mercado. He was not the best. So kind of making a uh, Chris Davis look like a genius for saying that it was okay to promote Jordan Luplo instead of Oscar Mercado. So this past week, Oscar went, 160, 222, 320 on his slash line. He did hit a home run uh, and a double, but he also struck out five times and walked twice. So, uh, And then Raymond Burgos, who the starting pitcher that I'm following, he had a start this past week where he went five innings, gave up two runs on seven hits with five strikeouts. So not too bad. Not amazing, but definitely not bad. So keep it up, Ray. And then as a special treat for you guys, I had the chance to talk to Emily Walden. She is a prospect writer that she's been covering the Detroit Tiger system for years. She's now writing with the athletic and everything. So without further ado, um, we're going to throw in my interview with Emily Walden. She had a chance to see the Lake County system this week. And now I'd like to move on to a special segment for tonight's podcast. We're going to introduce a guest who was out at uh, an opportunity to see some of the, the Lake County captains play. She is uh, the minor league baseball writer for The Athletic. And also you can see some of her work in Baseball HQ. She is Emily Walden. Welcome to Indians on Deck, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, Emily, I guess... Let's just get it out of the way. How was it? Uh, I know that you were see there mainly for the Detroit Tigers affiliate, but I mean, the information you were pumping out about Indians prospects that I think everybody in the Indian side of things was like, oh, Emily is the best. Please. Can the Tigers <laughs> affiliates just play Indians affiliates forever? <laughs> it, it was really fun. Yeah, I, I am still doing my Tigers system coverage, so that hasn't really changed, but I have been able to branch out into more national stuff. And so obviously seeing the Indians come to town and wanting to sort of educate myself a little bit more on their system, um, it was really fun to sort of, like you said, dig up some interesting facts. I had that brain fart moment where I forgot that Bo Naylor was related to Josh Naylor mm -hmm. until I saw his face come up on the screen. And I went, that looks an awful lot. Like, hold on a second. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that part of it was really fun, obviously just to see, more of the future names coming up around the league, specifically for the Indians. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a few really intriguing ones to pay attention to. And Lake County is actually the team to watch right now because, I mean, they've got multiple first Indians draft picks from, like, the last three seasons, actually, <laughs> uh, with uh, Will Benson and then uh, Bo Naylor and uh, Quentin Holmes all on the same team. They, they had Brady Aiken on there for, like, a week, but that didn't work out. So you don't have to worry about that one, but, uh, yeah. but, uh, you were able to, to post some really inter uh, good information. So I, I first, I just want to hear what was it like? Uh, what were some of the players that really stood out for you? Yeah, there was a couple. I actually got to see two games in their series with West Michigan. And I would say the top two, obviously for people who don't know, Tyler Freeman is a guy to watch. He's mm -hmm. absolutely a guy to watch. He 
was labeled number three in the Indian system by MLB Pipeline. Um, and the biggest thing I think that really stood out about him is just a very natural, fluid ability on both sides of the ball. Um, I would definitely put him as more of an offense first profile, but it's not to say his defense isn't up to snuff. I think the fact that he's still so young, he's still 19, they're still kind of waffling a little bit on will he stay at short? Is he going to be more at second long term? I personally see him as more of a second baseman. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's very athletic, and I think that's partly why it makes it look so easy. But um, for him, extremely advanced hit tool, especially for his age. And his numbers show that. He's got like a sub-six strikeout percentage yep. and walks about 13% of the time and had this funny conversation with him about it. And he goes, you know, he, he kept it so simple. He goes, you just got to, you know, shrink the zone down to what you want it to be. And I said, oh, is that it? Is that all you have to do? It's almost as if it's like this, duh, moment. But he just goes out there. He has so much fun. Um, and obviously a few more guys on the team, too. But I would definitely put him at the top of my list for the intriguing names to watch. And that's actually really interesting because that's the new thing to his game. If you looked at his stats last year, Tyler Freeman, I think, walked about 6% or 4% of the time and struck out about 5 or 6% of the time. I mean, it was nuts. And mm-hmm. uh, like he, that was just the thing was he just hit the cover off the ball and then he never walked and never struck out. And then all of a sudden he comes out this year and triples his walk rate and then drops his strikeout rate and he's still hitting the cover off the ball. So, I mean... His profile, at least to me as a prospect, just skyrocketed because, I mean, you add that patience at the plate and the on-base percentage to what he was already doing. Uh, I mean, that's just nuts to me. Oh, absolutely. And he, he's the kind of guy, too, that I, people who know me know that I value character and, mm-hmm. you know, good attitudes right up there with his skill set. He's got both. He's one of the most down-to-earth, just super humble kids um, he's got such a good head on his shoulders. He's extremely focused. And I think that just makes him all the more successful. Obviously, he shows what he can do athletically. But when you've got your head in the right place like he does, I think it's just going to add to a su- success moving forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, were there any – I know you had a lot of great stuff on offensive. Uh, were there any intriguing pitchers that you saw uh, during your time over there? You know, I hate to say no, because I try not to <laughs> slam uh, the players that I see, but none that really stood out um, in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely have some interesting arms, um, but I think as far as the ones that they have at the Lake County level, I think it's still a little bit more raw than mm-hmm. it is established. And so that's more of the talent you can dream on as opposed to, okay, I'm seeing it right now. I think it's a little bit more projected forward as as far as what they're going to be able to do down the road. Yeah, I wasn't sure if uh, you had a chance to see Luis Oviedo's one-third of an inning six-run performance. Uh, I don't know if that was one of the games you watched or not. It was not, unfortunately. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I was actually hoping you had because I'd be like, what happened? He's so good. Um. And then uh, you mentioned that there were uh, potentially two people that stood out. What was the, who was the other one for you? You know, it would be a close, I think a close run between um, Bo Naylor and then Will Benson. Mm -hmm. Um, They're both, especially Bo, I think you're starting to see him kind of come into his own as far as 
uh, being able to do work on both sides of the plate. I saw him defensively really, really sharp in the two looks that I had. He was very poised, a good arm, um, really good footwork behind the plate. Catch and release was really on point. Um, offensively, there's definitely stuff there, and I think it's still in the kind of the you know cultivating phases of what it's going to become. I think it's still a little bit raw, but it's it, he's got such a good instinct and I think a good understanding for what he's capable of and what his body's capable of. And he's he's a bit on the smaller side compared to his brother. As we all know, Josh Naylor is a very healthy, healthy boy. And um, Bo is down probably about 50, 60 pounds lighter mm-hmm. um, than his brother is. So I, I don't know if we're necessarily going to see the same degree of raw power that you get from a guy like Josh. But there's definitely a very, very smart contact-oriented swing there for Bo. And so I think for for him, it's more going to be kind of watching those pieces come together, start to see him grow into himself a little bit more. Again, he's 19. Indians mm-hmm. are out here trying to look like the Padres all of a sudden, having all these youngsters on their team. And uh, But those are definitely two guys to watch. And then Will Benson, I, I tweeted this, Will Benson's a monster. Mm-hmm. He's just an absolute monster. And the raw power is extremely exciting to watch. But I think for him, there's also a ton of swing and miss, a ton of swing and miss. And Mm -hmm. I want to say, if I remember correctly, I think he's still 20. I think he turns 21 this summer. Um, So obviously still some some wrinkles to iron out with him. But my goodness, if he can get that swing down and if he can time up those pitches a little bit better, that is going to be terrifying because that swing has a heck of a lot of power behind it. Yeah, we saw that when he hit the the four home runs in one game. Uh, from when we talked about it in last week's episode of the show. So when when he's on, I mean, he can hit four home runs in one game. There's not a lot of people that can do that. So we we were joking that he had a 1,000 BAPIP last week. He he literally for the whole week, every time he touched the ball, it was a hit. He scorched it, and then he struck out every out. <laughs> well, and that's the kind of thing I think that you get with. A profile like his, mm-hmm. where I think that while he's got he's got a solid defensive profile, he's got a plus arm. You know, he's already at least an above average defender. Um, but with his offensive profile, I saw this a lot with Kristen Stewart with the Tigers. We're coming up. Obviously, everybody knew the Tigers signed him out of Tennessee because of his bat. That was the selling point. He could tear the cover off the ball. When he got up to the high A double A level the strikeouts really, really became a problem. And so for him, it was a matter of sort of fine-tuning, backpedaling a little bit, figuring out how to pinpoint what the source of that was. He was able to drop that percentage his second time around in AA, gets up to AAA, gets even better. Now he's up with Detroit and, again, ripping the cover off the ball. And I think with Benson, it's probably going to be similar I think defensively he's fine. Um, I think he'll continue to get better, but he's a big boy. He's six five, two twenty five. That's a lot of body to carry around. <laughs> and so for him, he's really just going to have to work on timing up those pitches, hand-eye coordination, being patient. Um, he's got a good swing. I don't think his swing is the problem. I liked his swing from what I saw, but definitely has to work more on timing up those pitches to be able to make more contact. Oh, I'm right with you. So, and I'm excited about him too. Even though he's repeating at Lake County, I mean, he's he's definitely been showing some progress. Um, and then let's move on a little bit to. I know that people are here 
on the show, they want to hear about Indians prospects, but you had a pretty interesting thing happen this week with, uh, was it Casey Mize making his double A debut? Uh, it was, it was a pretty good one. That, you know, I would definitely agree. It was, it was pretty, <laughs> pretty memorable, pretty memorable for sure. And the funny thing was with that, I spoke with Casey two days before his double um, A debut and we were talking about the Florida state league and how, you know, he said, well, I wasn't, wasn't really nervous. I was, you know, just more a little anxious to get going. And he comes from the sec. So he's used to big crowds. He's used to competitive baseball. He's used to a lot of pressure. And I think that that all played in his favor. And I said, well, how are you feeling about, you know, your debut coming up in the Eastern league? And he goes, you know, I just got to be a little bit better than the guys I faced. That's really the simple plan that he had going into it. And he went out and threw a complete game no hitter. So I think you and I can agree he was indeed a little bit better than the guys he faced. Uh, definitely. And if people don't know, uh, Casey was the Tigers' number one overall draft pick last year for the 2018 draft. So uh, we've kind of had a guy – at double A that Nick Sandlin is his sidearm or the Indians took in the second round. A lot of people were saying that he's going to be the first player from the 2018 draft to make it to the MLB level. But with what we just saw out of Casey, he might beat him. <laughs> yeah. And the thing with Casey too, is that, and the funny, funniest part about his post game interview is he focused so much about on how his fastball command was terrible. And that was that was his focus. It wasn't. I just went out and threw a complete game no hitter. Mm-hmm. My fastball command was off, and I think <laughs> that gives you such a deep look into the fact that even though he's very very soft spoken, he's pretty shy. He's not somebody who loves being in the spotlight. But the way that he presents that, it shows what a fierce competitor he is. He's always looking to get better. He's always looking to polish his stuff. He's got a plus arsenal across the board, including a seventy splitter. So I think that tells you his stuff's worked pretty good. Yeah. But the fact that he is as focused in on becoming even better, I think the Tigers have a legitimate talent on their hands. Obviously, everybody in the minors, it's a lottery ticket to a certain degree. But if he can keep working on fine-tuning that, there's so much there for them to work with. And I think he's headed in a really good direction. Well, now we've uh, effectively terrified all of the Indians fans out there. So, guys... Uh, get your stuff together. They need to win it this year because Casey's yes, coming. Yes, <laughs> to, to Indians fans, I, I sincerely apologize. <laughs> um, so can we talk briefly about what you have coming up? You, uh, we, we mentioned uh, or you told me earlier that you'll be doing some like national uh, minor league like reporting a little bit on uh, some prospect rankings and things. That is correct. Yeah, I did a little bit of a variation of this last year with Melissa Lockard, who is – a prospect junkie, much like myself out on the West Coast. And she's working on some different things this year, but I got the green light to bring back a bi-weekly report on prospects that I see. So it'll be different different categories, different groups of guys um, with different focuses on certain positions. And um, it's, it's really going to be fun. I think it gives um, the fans and the readers more of a better understanding of Who's standing out for each organization? Because obviously, as a fan, you're focusing on your team. But much like the Indians with Casey Mize, they want to know who's going to be coming up against them in a few years. Mm-hmm. You want to know who's coming up the pipeline. So I think it's it's just a good opportunity to kind of show some of these names off, give these guys a platform, and you know tell everybody what's coming on up in uh, in the future. Okay, excellent. Well, I think that was everything that we had for you. 
uh, Emily. So thank you very much for uh, stopping by the show. Absolutely. Looking forward to uh, coming on again next time. Emily is awesome. I don't know if you saw, I think it was towards the beginning of this off season. She had a lot to do with the increased awareness of just the playing conditions and wage disparity of minor league players, which is awesome because she's been an advocate for the minor leaguers in general for so long. So it's awesome to see one that kind of finally come to the forefront and two, her get the recognition she deserves for all the work she's done for the last few years. Yeah, that is a tremendous article, and I highly recommend people get a chance to read it. It's called, I Can't Afford to Play This Game. Minor leaguers open up about the realities of their pay and its impact on their lives, where she spoke to a ton of players, uh, mostly anonymous, who talked about their struggles with uh, the minor league pay system. So. Highly recommend checking that out. So thank you very much, Emily, for stopping by the show. Um, and then moving on, we have some questions. Yep, just a few viewer questions this week. The first from Chris D. Davies. And we might have some more specific answers for this given the Kluber injury. But uh, assuming Mercado, Oscar Mercado is one of the next guys to be called up, who else might we expect to be uh, getting called up to the Major League Club? Okay, well, initially I was going to say it was going to be a, a relief pitching prospect, like a James Karinczak had a really good chance because he's just been insane. But I think now you're having to think the Indians only have three starting pitchers, so Jeffrey Rodriguez is going to fill in one spot for Kluber right now, and then now you need somebody to take a Clevenger spot until he's ready, which hopefully won't be too much longer, but... You will need it. So let's check it out. Um, I think... Plutko is still rehabbing, right? So he's not ready Plutko is still rehabbing. He's not ready. Uh, Aaron uh, Savali uh, is still rehabbing, or Cavalli ooh, ooh, is ooh. still rehabbing. Speaking of his yes. last name, I did reach out to him on Twitter, and it is yeah, Savali. he answered. There we go. It's forever he shall be known as Aaron Savali. It was nice to... He responded in like five minutes too, which was awesome. Sometimes Twitter is pretty cool. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So out of the options available, Xiao Ching Chang, who is a kind of a sinker baller in the AAA level, his ERA is 762, so I'd say no. Chi Wei Hu, his ERA is 5. And he has nine walks to 16 strikeouts. So I would say he is off. But there is one potential intriguing player. Uh, he's a veteran, 30 years old. But he's actually been pitching really well. Six, standing six foot four, Asher Wachichowski. Uh This season so far, he has had four starts, only allowed two earned runs. Um, so his ERA is 0.82. And he's had 24 strikeouts in 22 innings, walked 10. I think he might potentially be the next man up. Asher Wachichowski. The only thing the only thing I think that might prevent that is I don't think he's on the he's 40 not, man. He is yet. not on the 40 man. Uh, Hugh is on the 40 man. But I definitely think that they would go with Wachowski over Hugh. They also potentially 
who we mentioned earlier, Zach Plasic could get a, a surprise call up after how dominant he's been so far. But again, that would be that would be a lot for him. <laughs> but he has been destroying. It's possible. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I would say Plasek, Wachachowski, and Michael Peoples are probably the top three choices right now if you go based on performance. Uh, Michael Peoples has five uh, games, four starts so far at AAA, and he's holding a 296 ERA. So he's been pitching pretty well as well. So, and he's been in the Indian system for quite a while. Like, watch a chap. He's a guy they added like his starting pitching depth just as a veteran, just for this season. Uh, but Peoples is 27 years old, and he's been in the Indian system since he was drafted in 2012 as a 14th round draft pick. So, they might want to go with a guy that's been in the system longer compared to uh, just a random vet. The next one, Joel Hammond wanted to know if there were any updates about Tristan McKenzie, and sadly. Unfortunately, no. Like I said, I scoured the internet. Absolutely nothing. That sucks. I would love to know more. I wish that I had a spy in Indians extended spring training or something where wherever they are hiding McKenzie, I want to know what, what's up with him. But we have no new updates on Tristan McKenzie, unfortunately. If anyone wants to volunteer to be our spy, let us know. You will be rewarded handsomely with gratitude. And if you are caught, we will deny all knowledge of your existence. Won't even recognize your face. Our final question comes from <laughs> Ghost in the Shell, with the I being a one. Uh, a lot of the position players the Indians have drafted or signed internationally recently have been middle infielders with excellent bat-to-ball profiles. Do you think Frankie and Jose's success in the big leagues contributed to this current approach? And this was a really fun question to see because I sort of... Well, I would say... Jose for sure, because I mean, he is walking more than he's striking or he was, he walked more than he struck out last year. And I think that the Indians have seen, there's, there's all kinds of stuff out there about, you know, how good of a prospect can be their hit profile, their uh, defense, their arm, everything. But it seems like at least offensively, if a player can see the ball really well and limit strikeouts while still walking, that seems like one of the most consistent uh, ways to, to get success and make it to the major leagues right now. So I think the Indians spotted that trend and they've been very aggressive with pursuing players in both internationally and with their uh, draft strategy. Like Ernie Clement, I think was the toughest player to strike out in all of college baseball. Indians signed him. So uh, the Indians have been very aggressive with, trying to find those type of players. They also look for guys with very low walks as starting pitchers, even if they don't blow people away with a hundred mile an hour fastball. Like if, if a guy has insane command, they can work with that. So like, like a Shane Bieber. So I think that that has kind of been a trend recently for sure. And, and I think Jose's success definitely has been mm -hmm. part of it. And there's no harm either in stocking up on guys like that too because the worst thing that happens is what the Indians ended up having to do uh, with like Willie Castro for example is you just trade them for other yeah. valuable and pieces. And then they become other players like Leonis Martin has been awesome so 
You know, if we could have Leonis Martin for a full season this year and he puts up what he's been putting up, that was worth well, it. Well, I, I believe that brings us to the end of the podcast this week. Do you have anything else, Brian? I uh, just want to thank Emily again for stopping by and giving us that information on Lake County. She talked, had some really valuable insight. Even though she's not technically a scout, she kind of has a scout's eye. And she was able to give us that little bit of extra information that I'm not able to glean. I'm more of a guy that looks at the statistics and just follows trends and all that stuff. But she can actually see these guys in person a lot more often and can give you just really valuable. Yeah, insight. and she she actually had some video up on Twitter of yes. a couple of the guys taking some cuts, too. So definitely she's at Emily C. Walden. Yes. She's worth because she did not. Yeah, she did not give out her Twitter or any way to follow her on anything <laughs> when we talked. So, yes, follow her on Twitter at Emily C. Walden. And then as well, you can check out her work. on. All right. Well, thank you again, Brian. We will see. We're not going to see any of our listeners. We will. We will have a better sign off next week. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.